Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. On the early morning of February 17, 1994, James Rich got into his new twin-engine Piper Seneca airplane at the airport near Louisville, Kentucky. The plan, he says, was to make a 30-minute flight to Crossville, Tennessee to visit a friend, 30 minutes. But he hadn't slept much the night before, so as his plane left the runway, he was pretty tired. After climbing to about 3,500 feet, he put the plane on autopilot, Then he decided, I think I'm going to take a little nap and fell asleep. When he woke up three hours later, he was in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, 200 miles from land. He was running out of fuel. The engine sputtered, then crashed straight into the Gulf. The plane, it sank in 45 seconds. Rich, who could not swim, was pulled under by the undertow. The only thing that saved him was two discounted store cushions that he clutched under his arms. And when they found him, he was alive, embarrassed, minus one $70,000 uninsured airplane, and still holding on to those two cheap cushions under his arms. James Rich, guys, fell asleep at the wheel. He fell asleep on autopilot, and of course, guess what happened? He flew off course. You go, well, what happened? Well, he lost his focus. And he ended up where? In the middle of some serious, serious consequences. And I think, guys, as I listen to that story, I think as Christians, we do the same thing. You see, there are times in our lives when we, as we begin to walk with Jesus, there are times when we begin to lose focus. We sort of feel like we're tired. We sort of feel like the world has hit us a bunch. We sort of feel like there's been some attacks. We sort of feel like, man, I mean, it's just been a rough couple of months. It's been a rough couple of years. And and so at times we sort of hope and pray that we put it on autopilot. But I think there are times, guys, when we, we lose our focus. And I think when we lose our focus, there's even more serious consequences. If you're taking note, guys, I'm calling this message staying focused. Staying focused. And I subtitled it this way. Staying focused to the task at hand. You go, what's the task, Pastor? Guys, it's again, tonight, Wednesday night, we're here and we want to walk with Jesus and we want to continue to push forward. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors and yet we sometimes feel like James Rich and we're just sitting there and we're tired and we're flying off course. And so again, we think about it, guys. The task at hand is walking. It's taking ground for the kingdom. It's, it's doing those things that are going to draw us closer to Jesus. The task at hand, you ask? Well, if you recall, guys, when we focus on our walks with Jesus, when we really focus, when we take a moment to go, okay, listen, I am not playing church anymore. I'm not playing church. I'm a true believer. I'm going to follow the Lord. I want to be fed. We talked about this a while back. The opposite of eating food means that the next day you'll get hungry. But when we study and we jump into the word of God and we fill ourselves with the word of God, it actually, the opposite effect happens. We stay hungry. We want more of God's word. And so when we do this, anybody know what I'm talking about? When we focus on our walks with God, when we take our calling seriously, when we serve the living God, we can expect opposition. You can expect it. You can expect that things aren't going to go right in your life. You can expect that the enemy is not happy. And you can also expect what I call spiritual attacks. Spiritual attacks. Where do spiritual attacks come from? I mean, are they spiritual? They're going on. Usually the enemy uses people, circumstances, your boss, a family member, a coworker. I can't believe this. Where is this coming from? This came out of nowhere. And now you have... The, spirit, the spiritual attacks. But see, even in those circumstances, guys, the Lord Jesus, he wants us to stay focused on him. And when we don't, that's when we seem to lose direction, when we seem to wander off the path. 
when we seem to get in trouble. You guys with me? When, we, when we're focused on the Lord, even though circumstances, even though we will, if you will, spiritual bullets are flying and we're in the, we're in the foxhole and we're sitting there going and we go, we can't take anymore. When we get our eyes off the Lord, when we get our eyes off being focused on Jesus, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. If you're taking note, you can jot this down. I looked up the word focus. It means to concentrate on. To center on, zero in on, zoom in on, address itself to, pay attention, pinpoint, revolve around, have its starting point, guys. And that's the whole point. We need to what? We need to concentrate on our walks with God. We need to center on our walks with God. We need to zero in our walks with God. Why? When we do that, we can see the enemy. We can see the attacks coming. We can kind of get our bearings straight. We can land way before we're out in the ocean. And that's exactly what we need to do. Now, let me remind you, because it's been a year, almost a year since we last talked about Ezra, right? Well, it was December, but it was last year in 2017. Remember, the book of Ezra, guys, is, is, is an Old Testament book that's just an amazing story of the rebuilding city of Jerusalem and the temple of the living God. He's going to go back. He's going to rebuild this, right? Now, the temple wasn't the only thing that needed attention. Many of the returning Hebrews had what? Well, they had hard hearts. They had lost their focus. They forgot who God was, and, and, and they had forgotten God's law. And to make matters worse, they were disregarding those laws in front of other people. And you have to ask yourself one question. Do I have influence in, in front of other people? Are even people looking at my life? Well, I don't know, Pastor, I'm just a teenager. Are people looking at my life? And the answer is yes. People are looking at you. They're looking at you because you, you proclaim to have the answer. Not that you're the answer. We know Jesus is the answer, but people are watching you. They're watching me. Wait a minute. You have it all together. No, we don't have it all together, but we know the one who we can run to in our times of need. And so again, here's what's going on. They, they're what? They're forgotten God's law. People are going, well, I mean, if, if God, if it's not important to you, it's not important to me. Okay. And, and, and their hearts were hardened. Now, what does they do? God calls them back in a small group of Jews who had been in captivity in Babylon for, 70, for how many years? Over 70 years had been allowed to go back to the city of God. How? By the Persian king Cyrus. The city of Jerusalem, if you recall, had been destroyed 70 years earlier by Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans. You go, why was it destroyed? Well, if you recall, remember, it's part of the discipline of God for Israel's idolatry and rebellion. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, and these things were written for our admonition. Okay, so we read things here in the word of God, but we can apply them because in our lives, guys, we are going to be disciplined if we rebel against the Lord God, if we disobey the Lord God, if we what, if we have set up idols in our hearts. I think it's wise, guys, as believers, that you and I often check our hearts and say, God, is there anything in my heart that I'm putting above you? Is there anything in my life that I'm putting far above you? Then that's an idol. We have to ask ourselves these questions. Because if you don't, then you will begin to serve that idol and much like Israel, that's what they were doing. They were just going through the motions. They were serving the idol. God's like, hey, stop it. He, he sent Jeremiah the prophet to go warn him. Guys, stop. You're worshiping idols. Stop. You're worshiping the God of Baal. You're worshiping the God of Astaroth. Stop. Stop. 40 years, Jeremiah's pleading with them. I think we can learn from that. I think we can ask ourselves, God, is there anything in my life? Show me if there's anything in my life. Now you stop and you go, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, Ben. But there's some good things in my life that are, that are really good. Be careful because we can take a good thing and we can make it ultimate and it becomes an idol. It's a good thing. Your relationship with your spouse, that is a good thing. It's a good thing. Don't make it an ultimate thing. Jesus has to be ultimate. Your relationship with your kids, that's a good and beautiful thing. And God made us to be careful we don't make it ultimate. We have to be careful with the idols in our heart. Well, again, guess what? Captivity, discipline, 70 years. How many of you like discipline? I don't like discipline, right? Do you remember when you were little? 
You ever get the belt? You ever get spanked? Some of us did, some of us didn't. I used to walk around like this a lot because I didn't want to get swatted. But as you grow up and your parents, what do you say? This is for your own good. This is, I love you, and that's what God says. I love you enough to discipline you. Well, the temple back in Jerusalem had been leveled. The city of God had been burned. Think about this, guys. The majority of the people, they're in Babylon, right? They're in Babylon. God allowed all of this to bring his people to repentance and to ultimately bring himself, bring them back to himself. Bring him back. Now, if you recall, remember, Ezra chapter 1 tells us how God dealt with Cyrus, the king of Persia, and issued a decree, setting the people of God free to go back and restore the city of God. So Ezra chapter 1, God is in control. Can you remember that? God is in control. What about your circumstances? Is God in control? I don't know, Pastor. I feel like I'm, I know, I'm with you. But, but we see God's even moving in the heart of kings. Ezra chapter 2, he tells us 50,000 of the million Jews living in captivity there in Babylon responded to the call and went home. How much? 50,000 out of millions. It's just a remnant. But here's what happened. Those people heard, I want to go home. I want to go home. And here's how we applied it. Guys, I want to go home. See, the Bible tells us that as believers, we're just sojourners. We're just passing through. How many of you know you're just passing through? You're just passing through, right? We're, we're not, this is not your home. You've got, you've got a home in heaven, and God's waiting with open arms. But when it's time, he'll say, come on home. I'm ready to go home. But like Paul, we say this a thousand times. Here's what I want you to get, guys. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does he mean? He says, man, I'm ready to go home. But while I'm here, we've got to work. We've got people that need Jesus. We've got people that need to... Now, now listen, there's people that need to get saved. Can I get an amen? amen? But there's also people that need need to know what real walk with God is. There's a lot of people in our sphere that don't know my Jesus. They don't. And it breaks your heart because you're like... Oh, so 50,000 said, we're going, we're going, we're going. Remember we talked about this, guys, and I think it's a great application here. Do you remember Peter? Do you remember Peter in our John study where he got out of the boat? Lord, if that's you, bid me to come, right? There's wind, there's rain, right? The waves are going crazy. Jesus comes walking on the water, and Peter's like, Lord, if that's you, bid me. And Jesus says, come on, dude, let's go. And Peter's like, woo, and he got out of the boat, right? And he's walking on the water, and then he sees all the circumstances around him, and he begins to sink. He begins to drown. His prayer is what? Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And we give Peter a hard time. Peter, come on, dude. Keep your eyes on Jesus, right? Good point. We want to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. That's a good point for our message. But if 50,000 people heard the call to go back to Israel, can we be people that get out of the boat? Can we be people that say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with a little remnant of just, just a, a handful of people that are here on a Wednesday night? What do you want to do? You see, because this is not the church. The church is inside your heart. And, when, and, and you get filled up here. You get, um, you get fed here. And then you go out and you take it and you're able to minister to people all over Lubbock. But we got to get out of the boat. We have to get out of the boat. We have to take a step of it. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know. We've got to do something. That's what we've got to do. And then in Ezra chapter 3, if you recall the first half of Ezra chapter 3, it describes the children of Israel arriving home, rebuilding the altar, and, what, and, and again, reestablishing sacrifices to the Lord. And the second half of Ezra chapter 3 describes a remnant of people starting the work on the rebuilding of the temple of the Lord. And this is great, but then we get to Ezra chapter 4. Guess what happens in Ezra chapter 4? The enemy comes in, right? It launches its first assault on the whole process of restoration. There they are. They're busy. Listen, nobody bothered. They're not bothering anybody. They're not causing a ruckus. They're going home. They're going home, and they're going to rebuild the temple so they can worship God. We know that Nehemiah is going to come, and he's going to build the wall so that they can have security in that worship. 
But the enemy in chapter 4 says, nay, 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 nay. Nay, nay, nay. And you got to stop and you go, why? Why? Well, all of a sudden, they want what? They want the rebuilding to stop. And we saw how the enemies of God tried different methods to stop Israel from charging forward. Do you guys see that? Do you feel the weight of this? In our walks with God, guys, we're walking with Jesus every day. We're spending time in a daily Bible reading, and we're spending time in quiet time. Our prayer life is starting to take off, and the enemy comes in, and he wants to put a stop to that work, and he will do whatever it takes, and he comes in, and and right away, you're in chapter 1, you're in chapter 2, you're in chapter 3, and chapter 4, the enemy comes in, and he will come in. He comes in, and he wants to stop the work. How does he stop the work? Well, we see here in Ezra 4 that he did by trickery, if you recall. By trickery, he tried to come and infiltrate from within. Hey, let's just be friends. Can we build this together? Can we just build? Hey, can't we get along? And they're like, no, you have no part of this. They tried intimidation, if you recall. They tried fear. What can I do? And finally, they resorted to what? Do you remember? A political pressure. And what happened? Guys, that did it. That stopped Israel in its tracks. So in the first two verses verses of Ezra chapter 5, what does God do? He raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to bring the word of the Lord to the people. Remember that for 16 years, the people left the rebuilding of the temple for the building of their own paneled houses and taking care of themselves. You guys recall that, right? The prophet Haggai writes a whole book. And what are you doing? Six days. Okay, I'm moving forward. It's time to build the temple. We're building. Everybody's working, right? We got people working, and we're like, man, we're having a great time, and we're just excited. Why? Because we get to worship the Lord. We haven't really worshiped the Lord in 70 years, okay? And, 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 and now we get to worship the Lord, and it's going to be great. And all of a sudden, with, through the trickery, intimidation, and fear, and the political process, the work stops. What do the people do? Well, they leave the temple in ruins, and they go and say, I need to build my house. I need to take care of my house. You know, my wife's been after me for that new addition. Better take care of that. Well, what about the temple of the Lord? Well, you know, that's just the government for you. They're just stopping. We'll just see. We'll see. Maybe it'll stop for a year. 16 years later. 16 years later. And if you can see the big picture, guys, that happens in the walk of many believers. You go, how so? They're walking and they're on fire. They're called, we call them radically saved. I mean, they're on fire. And all of a sudden, through trickery, intimidation, fear, and even political process, their walks with the Lord stop. Hey, man, I thought you were a, thought you were a Wednesday nighter. Yeah, no. You know, I got bored at that church. I don't know. They kind of do the same thing over and over. Really, what do they do? Well, they sing, and we worship, and then the pastor gets up there, and he preaches, and he teaches a message, and we kind of greet each other, and we go home. I was bored, so I'm not... I'm not doing that anymore. Listen, here's what happens, guys. It doesn't take much to go from a Wednesday to a Sunday to not going at all. The enemy wants to do that. Oh, well, let's dig a little bit. Let's let's get a little bit more personal. Okay, what if it's not even about church? What about you were radically saved and every morning you would get up and, and you would pray and you, would, you had your Bible there and you read it and God was speaking to you and you're writing stuff down and you're crying out in prayer and you had the best, best, best quiet time. You had such a good devotional life. Your devotional life led you through the whole day. You had the word of God in you. You're sitting at the light and God's speaking to you. And all of a sudden, how? Well, through intimidation and through fear and through all of this stuff, you know what? When, when your prayer life begins to go. And your Bible reading begins to go. And your fellowship begins to go. And you find yourself going, you know, um, I'll just, uh, I, I always get up, but you know what? Listen, I'll just, I, I know what, I'll, I'll, Lord, listen, I'll make a deal with you. How about, how about I do it at night? I'll do it at night. Listen, when the kids go off to bed and my wife goes off to bed, I'll just, I'll just spend some time with you. That's what I'll do. And then the night comes and guess what happens, guys? You sit there and, And all of a sudden, the work has stopped. God knocks on your heart ever so gently. He says, hey, where are you? Where are you in this? Where are you? 16 years. 16 years, guys. They're building their own panel houses. And the Lord says, that's enough. 
That's enough. So he sends who? He sends Haggai and he sends Zechariah, right? So after 16 years in the breaking the action, the people of the Lord get back to rebuilding the house of the Lord. This time, it says in Ezra 5.2, the prophets were helping them by holding them to the task. The prophets are like, okay, let's do this. I'm with you. And that's what our pastors should be doing. Our pastors should be going, listen, we're here to walk with you. We're here to, we're here to man, help you to lift up your arms. How's, how's your prayer life? How, how is it really? Oh, don't tell me about my prayer life. No, no, no. We're here to help you. We're here to love you. Why? Because it says the prophets were sitting there holding them to the guys. We've got to rebuild this temple. And this time, guys, the Lord, we're going to fulfill the potential of the Lord and accomplish what they had been born into the world to do. Like Esther had just a few years before God, people had left to Persia. We're going to see in between chapter 6 and 7 is where we get all of that, the book of Esther. This time, guys, this time, the people are going to stay focused. They're going to stay focused on the task, listen to me, in spite of continual opposition. Now, let's get some things clear, okay, by way of application. How many of you know that the enemy is going to attack your walk with God? How many of you know that? You really know that. Okay, so if you really know that, okay, you know that's going to happen. Listen, the Lord says, let's stay focused in spite of that, in spite of that. Let's focus on the task. Let's keep moving forward. See, that's where we pick up our story today. Staying focused, guys, despite of opposition. Now, if you're taking notes, let me give you four reasons we must stay focused on the task of serving Jesus. Four reasons, okay? These are gonna, we're going to find this through the whole letter, but four reasons. Number one, stay focused on the task because you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Remember that, okay? You belong to him. When you surrendered your life to him, you belong to him. Number two. We need to stay focused on the task because of our history, our history. Now, listen, when I said, I didn't say our past, our history as a church. Number three, we're going to stay focused on the task because of necessity, necessity. And then number four, we're going to stay focused on the task because of God's authority, God's authority, Okay. So these are things you go, Ben, remind me again what the task is. Guys, the task is really simple. It's our walks with God. It's moving forward. It's growing. It's growing. Picture yourself a tender plant that was planted, okay? What has to happen for a plant to grow? Well, the first thing, you're a seed, right? And a seed has to die. A seed has to die in order for it to grow. You take that seed, you bury it, right? And all of a sudden, all boop, there it is. And what has to happen, you need to have some key elements for your plant to grow. Any green thumbs? Joe, you know what I'm talking about, right? What, what do we need? we need? We need sunshine. We need water, right? What else we need? We need nutrients. Sometimes we need even dung, right? Do you ever use that as fertilizer, right? And all of a sudden, they're starting to grow. It's starting to grow. And, and, that's, and picture yourselves, guys, picture yourselves. You're in there, and now you're starting to grow. And do, don't you have fertilizer, you know what I'm talking about, in your lives? Don't you have some of that? Just me? You know what I'm talking about? There's around you, right? You know. Man. Oh, we got sunshine. We got the word of God. We got the water of his word. We got the son of God. We got God, the father, wrapped around us. But also we got some stuff in the world. It's going to help us to grow. We call it fertilizer, but other people call it dung, poop, stuff like that. Can you say poop from the pulpit? I don't know. We'll just, Nathalie will tell me that later. She'll say, don't say, don't say that. But it's true. But it's true. So we're growing. We're growing, people. Stay focused on the task, Okay. Picking it up in verse 3. You ready? It says, Now, at the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozani, 
And their companions came to them and spoke to them, speaking to the children of Israel. Here's their question. Who has commanded you to build the temple and finish this wall? Then, accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing the building. Now, here's what I want you to catch, okay? The enemy had done everything in its power to stop the rebuilding of the temple, to stop the foundation, right? How? By trickery in chapter 4, they tried to journey, right? By intimidation, by fear, they hired counselors. You guys know this. They even lodged a complaint with Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, by illegal means. They're like, listen, this has got to stop. And after 16 years, they're happy. They're smiling. <laughs> no, anybody working on the temple today? I don't think so. We got it. All of a sudden, now, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you see that? There's some people out working on the temple. Wow, wait, there's a lot of them working out there. Wait, there's a prophet Haggai and Zechariah. Are you kidding me? Uh Uh-oh, so what happens? What do you think is going to happen, guys? You think the enemy is going to fold his hand and go, well, we tried. (laughs) We tried. We tried to stop it. We did good. 16 years, high five. They're not going to do that, are they? Why? Because the enemy is coming right back, right back to what he does best. What's that? First thing they come in, they say, hey, listen, who authorized you to, to, to rebuild the city of God? Who, who gave you that authorization? And he says, and, and not only that, what are you, give us your names. Who are you? You go, what were they talking about? Well, guys, if you're taking note, there's a couple of things we see here. Okay, number one, they want to throw in what? Self-doubt. Self-doubt, right? Who authorized you? They want us to start doubting our calling and our walks. Self-doubt. And the second one, jot this down, intimidation. Give me your names. Give me your names. Right? Give me your names. So they're trying to intimidate us. See, it wasn't enough that through, through intimidation and fear and political and, and trickery, all of this stuff, now they're coming in and they want to throw self-doubt. And I believe, guys, I believe the enemy uses the same tactics in your life. I really do. I believe self-doubt. You go, what does that mean? Well, I looked it up, and it means this, guys. It means lack of confidence in oneself or one's abilities. The enemy tells you, you can't do this. You cannot read the Bible in a year. That's crazy. You know what? If you started the one-year Bible plan, and you feel like you have fallen off, and it's only January 17th, The enemy is saying, you can't do it. There's no way you're going to get through all of it. Listen, you know what I tell you? Get back up and start reading. Just keep reading. The enemy is going to do whatever he does, anything he can do to get you to stop reading the Bible through and through. There's power in the word of God. The enemy is going to come and say, see, I told you you couldn't do it. I told you. I told you. Intimidation intimidation, right? Give us your names. It's the intentional behavior that would cause a person of ordinary sensibilities to fear injury or harm. Think about it, guys. Give us your name. Whoa, why why do you want my name? Why, Why? Why do you want my name? It's that intentional behavior that would cause a person of ordinary, right, sensibilities to go, my name is Santos right? Whatever it might be. My name is Stephen. What's your name, son? Stephen. You know, I mean, because we get intimidated, don't we? And that's what the enemy does. The enemy wants to, what? He wants to bring fear. But this time, guys, this time, this time the attack of the enemy does not achieve its purpose. It's not going to work. Why? Look at verse 3. I mean, sorry, verse 5. But the eye of God was upon the elders of the, of the Jews so that they could not make them cease to till a report, to cease till a report go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning the matter. Think about it, guys. In other words, guess what he says? He says, listen, this not, work's not going to stop. Why? God is watching over them. Listen to that. The eye of their God was upon them. The eye of their God, God was on. The work didn't stop. Why? Because God was with them. God was with them. Guys, listen, we can stay focused on our walks despite opposition because God is continually watching out 
for us. Now, I've got to ask you a serious question, okay? And I want you to answer me seriously. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God is watching out for you? Do you believe he's got your back? Do you believe that his eye is going, listen, everything I know about you, I'm working for your good. God, it's hard. My heart is breaking. All of this stuff, man, it's just been, it's just been, I am just so depressed. I'm so down. I'm so bummed. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that, that the eye of the Lord is watching you and he's got your back? That's what's happening here, guys. As a matter of fact, think about this. Think about this. We can stay focused because God is always watching over us. And and let me give you some scriptures. These are some good scriptures to help you remind you of this. Psalm 34 and 15 says this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Good place for an amen right there. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are always towards us. Psalm 121, verse 8, the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I love that one. He's watching. He's got his eye on me. Psalm 121, 5, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. I don't know about you. I need that today. I need that. I need to know that God is with me. And I need to know that when the enemy comes and rings my doorbell because he wants to attack, all I have to do is say, Lord, you get it. Lord, you get it. You answer it. So what does Israel do? Right? What does Israel's enemies do? Right? Well, here's what they're going to do. They're going to now write a letter to Darius to see if he could stop the work. How about that? Hey, listen, listen. Who told you you could build that again? 16 years, who told you? And what are your names? Give me all your names. Write them down. Listen, God's with us. We're moving forward. Excuse me. You need to get out of the way. I'm moving forward. Well, we'll just see about that. We're going to write a letter. We're going to write a letter. Right? So here's the letter, right? Verse 6. This is a copy of the letter to Tatiai sent the governor of the, re- of the region beyond the river, and to Shethar Boznai and his companions, the, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to who? To Darius the king. Here's what the letter said, verse 7. They sent a letter to him in which was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went to the province of Judea, to the temple of the great god, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid and the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. And then we asked the elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build the temple and to furnish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you, tattletales, that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. Do you see the letter? The letter is really simple, what we just learned. They said, oh, King Darius, all peace. How's it going? Listen, we got a complaint. We, and then they they spell it out there. They spell it out. And they say, you know what? There's some heavy stones going up. There's some building going on. There's some lumber. And uh, we asked him, "Who, who told you you could do this? And then we asked him, give us your names. We try to intimidate them. Now, if you're taking note, guys, point number one. We need to stay focused on the task. What's the task? Walking and building our lives, growing our walks with Jesus. Amen? Because we belong to Jesus. And that's found in verse 11. Verse 11 of this letter, notice what it says. And thus they returned an answer, saying, We are the servants of God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. You guys see that? This is amazing. Why? Here's what here's their here's their answer, okay? When they asked, when they asked who authorized you, here's what they said. Listen, we're servants of God. We are servants of the God of heaven and 
and earth. You know what you can jot down right there if you're taking note? Guys, we belong to Jesus. We're servants of God, right? As a matter of fact, you asked us our names. You asked us our names. But listen, I'm not going to tell you that my name is Ben or Stephen or Santos or Noe or anybody else. I'm not going to tell you those are my names. You know what I'm going to tell you? Why? I'm not going to give you that name. Why is that? Why won't you give me your name? Here's why. I'm not going to tell you I'm Joe. Why? Because my identity is not my own. If I belong to Jesus, then what? You ask us our names, let me give you I identity. Here's my identity. This is who I am. We belong to the God who created the heavens and the earth. What's your name? We belong to Jesus. We take our identity from him. He is the source of our life. Do you guys see that? What's your identity? What's your identity? You ask Why are we building this temple against your wishes? Here's why. It's because in doing this work, we're serving this great God. You see, we're servants. That's our identity. Serving him is what we are ordained to do. Everybody catch that, right? Okay, listen. When they ask you, when the enemy asks you your name to try to intimidate you, what do you say? I'm a servant of the Most High. I'm a servant of God. I belong to Jesus. Why? Because it works so amazing. Why? Because listen to me. When Jesus, when God looks down, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees Jesus. That's my identity. That's my identity. How about some, how about some application on there? Okay? Because listen to me. Our identity changes our lives. You go, well, how does that happen? Knowing your identity is in Christ is one thing. Help me, church. Understanding how that practically changes the way we live is another. Here are a few ways that understanding our true identity in Christ can greatly impact our lives, the way we live in our lives. You go, how so? Well, if you're taking out number one, ready? Our identity. We no longer, because of who we are, because of our identity, because of Jesus, we no longer have to chase... We no longer chase after the desires of our flesh, but instead seek to bring glory to God in all areas of our life. Because of who we are, we do not have to, listen to me, we don't have to chase after the desires of our flesh. We don't have to do that. You'll go, well, give me a scripture. Well, jot this down, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride in possession is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides in him forever. So what do you mean? Guys, when your identity is in Christ, you no longer have to chase the desires of your flesh. You don't have to chase it anymore. Number two, you ready? If your identity is in Christ, you no longer have to fear the future. You no longer have to fear the future. It's Romans 8, 14 and 15 that says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, right? We don't have to worry about the future. It's taken care of. It's taken care of. You don't have to fear. Oh, what's tomorrow going to bring? What about our president? What about our country? Oh, I mean, no, no, no. Check it out. Check it out. Listen. Y'all heard the Hawaii thing, right? Y'all heard about that? Was that a trip or what? I mean, they said you have 20 minutes to do. I mean, a, a nuclear missile is coming. I want you to think about this for just a second. What would you do if you thought you only had 20 minutes to live? The people in Hawaii were freaking out, man. They were stucking, they were, they were putting their kids inside these, like these, these drain tubes to protect them. They literally, I mean, and it said, this is not a drill. Like, this is for real. Now, you and I, we just went about our busy life. But think about it. Think about it, guys. 
What would you do if your text message on your phone said, listen, there is an inbound ballistic missile headed to Lubbock in 20 minutes. Seek shelter. That's reality. That's reality. Well, I would, I would grab my kid and I would love him and I would, and I would hug him one last time. Listen, our future is secure. Our future, if, listen, if our identity is in Christ, our future is secure. Can, can, can any of us control? Thank God in, in Hawaii, that was, that was, I mean, could you, I, I don't know about, I mean, that, I saw the computer read out how it, how it was. It wasn't a switch. I mean, it was a, thank God. But it probably, it probably freaked some people out. They're going to need therapy. They're going to need some major therapy on that because it's like, listen, that, you had 20 minutes to live. But our identity is in Christ. Why? Because we don't have to fear the future, guys. Next time you're witnessing to your friend that says, man, I don't need Jesus. I don't need this God thing. I don't need... Listen. Listen. You're going to fear the future. You're going to fear what, what is tomorrow going to bring? What is next week? What is a month? What is 10 months? I don't know. Number three. If our identity is in Christ, guys, we should have no need to judge or compare ourselves to others when we seek to please Christ alone in whom our identity is hidden. Did you hear me, guys? If your identity is in Christ, you don't have a need to judge anyone or compare yourselves to anyone. The God of the universe thinks you're pretty swell. The God of the universe is wrapped up in you. Why do we need to compete with somebody or think that we're better or not better or judge someone? I heard, a, I heard a sermon today, a very interesting sermon, and, and it was all about judgment, judgment, like how, how Christians are really quick to judge other people really fast. And, and, and I, I just, it's, it, you know, it's Christians. It's Christians. And what we really need to do is go, listen, my identity is hidden in Christ. I don't, I don't, I, I, I do me. I just need to do me. I don't need to compare myself with anyone else at all. Well, give me a scripture, Pastor. Romans chapter 14, verse 7. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, Right? What did he just say? Guys, in, in life, honor God. In death, honor God. We don't need to compare ourselves. No need. No need. Number four. We should not be surprised when suffering comes. We can be confident that it will produce things of eternal life. When you, when your identity is in Christ... Guys, don't be surprised when suffering comes. Let me say that again. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. One more time. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. You go, why, Pastor? Well, here's, here's the problem. The problem is, is, that, is that there's a whole doctrine, a whole slew of people going out there going, you should never suffer. If you're a believer, you should never suffer. And it's like, but, but the whole Old Testament talks about us suffering. I mean, you go, well, well, like what? Well, what does Paul say? Paul says in Romans 8, 16 and 17, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are the heirs of God's glory. And everybody goes, amen. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Don't be surprised, guys. Uh, listen, I, I'm the first one to tell you, I know it stinks. I know it stinks. Suffering is not fun. Nobody gets up on, in the morning and goes, okay, God, I want to suffer. Yeah, let's do this thing. Nobody does that. But we don't need to be surprised. Why? Because, because if I'm going to share in his glory, then I need to share in his suffering. And what happens when we suffer? What happens when we suffer? If we suffer unto the glory of God, 
right? Then people see who God is through our lives. How can you go through that and still have a positive attitude? How can you go through this and still give glory to God? How can you go through this and not be mad at God? One of the greatest, one of the greatest, I don't know, witnesses I've ever seen. One of the greatest, I mean, it was just like, you know, when I look at the life of my dad, my, my dad has since passed a few years ago. When I look at the life of my dad and, you know, he would tell me stories after stories, you know, grown up in a, in a Catholic home and, and in the fear of God and going to church. And my grandma was a great prayer warrior. My dad, you know, found himself with, with twins for his first kids. He had, he had twins, two little boys, you know, and they're rejoicing, trying to make a living, right, back in, the, back in the early, late 50s, early 60s. And then in 1960, he finds out they're pregnant again, and he has a daughter. And then in 1966, he finds out they're pregnant again, and they have a son, only for a year later to lose his wife to cancer. And if that was enough, he's raising four kids. My dad had to make some very hard decisions in, in raising the four kids, and he raised the four kids the best he could. When his daughter turned 18, right, she developed a cough. Before you know it, she has lung cancer. She passes away at 19. And then, and then you talk about suffering. Not only did he live a life without his wife, now his daughter. I mean, you, you guys, I mean, we don't even think about that for half a second. And if that wasn't enough, not you know one of his one of his granddaughters develops lupus and at the age of twenty one passes away, and so forth and so forth. And if there were anyone that I looked at that thought would be bitter and angry against God, it would be that man. And he never was. Somehow, my dad, without walking tight with Jesus, maybe he did, but. He knew that suffering was just a part of life. He just knew that it was a part. And, and I wonder if you were to trace our roots back, we would probably, uh, we'd probably end up probably from Job or something. I don't know. That's so, <laughs> so let's not be surprised, guys, when we're suffering. Point number two. Ready? Staying focused on task because of our history. Look at verse 11. He says, we're rebuilding the temple. Why? Because it was built many years ago with the great king of Israel. And what? Israel built and completed. Who was that? Solomon. You guys remember Solomon's first temple. So, so they said, listen, this, it was already built. See, the people of the Lord were rebuilding it at this time with a sharp sense of the, the history of it all. This wasn't something of a novelty. Hey, we think we'll build, we think, we think we'll build a, a you know, uh, some passing bad. Hey, guys, let's build a temple here. You know what? No, listen, it was Mount Moriah. This was on the site which Abraham had come to sacrifice Isaac. They had, they had some stock in it. You know what I'm saying? They were, it, was a, they were, it was a part of them. This is where David sacrificed the thanksgiving of God as he, as, as he stated his right hand against Israel 600 years before. And you go, what is that? How does that help us? Well, guys, listen, listen. It, they stayed focused because of their history. We need to stay focused because of our history. You go, what's our history? Well, look back at the history of the church, which we are part of, the church of Jesus Christ, right? God raises up godly men and women to carry out the task of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in our DNA. And so we need to stay focused because we don't know how God wants to use us. I'm telling you right now, there's going to be somebody in heaven that's going to run up to you and say, thank you so much for your witness. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And you're going to go, I don't even know who you are. And they're going to remind you that you, you minister to them in a way that you didn't even know. And because of them, they accepted the Lord. They didn't tell you. You're going to go, wow, praise God. And you're going to be humbled. You're going to go, Number three, staying focused on the task, it's because of necessity. Look at verse 12. 
Verse 12 of the letter, because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath and he gave him into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed the temple and carried the people away to Babylon, right? You go, what happened? Well, Ezra chapter five, verse 12 is a recognition that they had just gotten into what? Into a mess of captivity. They had lost their freedoms, their temple, their inheritance in the first place because they had neglected the worship of God in the temple, Their forefathers had turned to worship idols. They had fallen into the sins of the pagan nations around them. And guess what, church? It cost them dearly. 70 years of captivity and slavery away from home, 900 plus miles away from home. They're going to rebuild the temple of the Lord because guess what? Listen to me. They didn't want to go through that again. You go, what do you mean? They learned their lesson. They're like, "Mm -mm, we're going to stay focused because of necessity, because of the necessity. And you go, what do you mean? Well, guys, think about it. We learn, right? How many of you learn from your mistakes? How many of you learn from other people's mistakes? That's so important. It's one thing that it's wise to learn from your mistakes. Oh, don't do that again. But when you see somebody doing it, you go, oh, I need to learn from that. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us, I used it earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul writes, now these are all these things that happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, right? So we can learn to whom the ends of the ages have come. They said, listen, what we read in scripture was so that we can go, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. We can learn from that mistake. Now, listen, there are going to be times when we all make mistakes. There are going to be times when we fail. Failure is okay. We learn from failure. We learn a lot more from our failures than we do our successes. But we can also learn from somebody else's mistake and say, I don't want to go down that road. Parents, are you with me? You know what I'm talking about, right? You've learned some lessons in your life that you're trying to keep your kids from going down. Even though you know that's a road that you don't want them to go down, your heart is to go, please don't go. There's hurt and there's pain down there. And if I can keep you from that, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Well, Dad, you're, Mom, you're just no fun. You don't let me. I just want to. Listen, I've been down that road, and it hurts. And it hurts. Last one, last point, guys. Staying focused on the task. Why? Because of God's authority. Look at verse 13. However, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, right? King Cyrus issued a decree to build the house of God, right? They were building under a decree. They had the authority to do what they were doing. And back in Ezra 1.1, we learned that it was God who put it in King Cyrus's heart to what? To issue this this decree. So again, think about it. They were rebuilding under the authority of God, and that kept him on point. Listen, there's no higher authority than God in his word. Okay, so we stay focused because God has ordained you to keep moving and keep growing. Here's why. Here's why. It's often been said, if the Christian is not moving forward, then he's going backward. There's no, there's no like standing still. For the believer, you're either moving forward and you're growing in God and you're making mistakes and you're loving Jesus and you're following him and you're submitted to him. When you stop, you think, oh, well, I'm just on idle. You're not on idle. You're actually going back. You have God's authority to continue to grow. Guys, we stayed focused because of God's authority. Jesus Christ issued that decree when he stretched out his arms and he was nailed to a cross. He issued that decree that you're going to grow. And, and, and what is it called, Joe? Progressive sanctification. We're going to grow like him. We don't stop. But pastor, the hill is hard. The terrain is yucky. There's rocks and cactus and all kinds of stuff. Keep moving forward. You're under God's authority. Why? When you gave your life to him, he sealed you with the spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one that gives you that authority. So let's finish up with the rest of the letter and then we'll close. Verse 14, it says, also, and they're just writing, also the gold and silver articles in the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple was in Jerusalem and it was carried to the temple of Babylon. We know that. 
Those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon when they were given to the one named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to them, Take these articles, go and carry them to the temple in the site of Jerusalem. Let the house of God be rebuilt in its former site. Then the same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. From the time even until now has been under construction and is not finished. Now, therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it's so that the decree was issued by King Cyrus to build the house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure concerning the matter. Your attention, please. They don't believe that this decree was given. Hey, search it. Hey, look, look, make sure that this is true. And then you respond and you respond. That's exactly what the enemy does. Hey, did you really get saved? Well, I prayed a prayer and I'm trying. Amen. Let's see if that really happened. That's exactly they're trying to question that. Let me close with this, guys. Let's close with this, okay? You and I, we've been bought with a price. We've been bought with the price of Jesus' blood so that we can invest our lives, our resources, our hearts in the restoration of the church of Jesus Christ in our day. Listen to Romans chapter 7, verse 4 says, So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit, the fruit of God. Let me paraphrase this, guys. You died to this world through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You belong to the one who was raised from the dead so that what? That you might bear the fruit of God. What's that? Yeah, you remember that tender plant? All of a sudden, you're going to start to grow. And then as you grow, you're going to start to bear fruit. And that's what you're here for. You're here to bear fruit. But let me remind you. More often, I didn't even say more often. The fruit that you bear is always for other people. I've never seen our fruit tree in our yard eat its own fruit. It's just been, it just sits there and it grows and people come and they, we don't have an apple tree, but uh, apricot tree, but uh, either way. So as you grow, you grow in the Lord. The enemy says, stop, 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 cut that tree down. You're going, nope, 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 nope. I'm under the authority of Jesus to keep moving. All of a sudden, you're going to look and go, oh, there's, there's some fruit. <laughs> there's some fruit. And somebody's going to come on and go, oh, I need this. Pluck. And you're going to go, oh, wait a minute. Don't pick my fruit. That's not what you're going to say, are you? You're going to go, enjoy. Because that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. That's staying focused on the task at hand. Lord, you're gracious and compassionate. We thank you. Help us to stay focused, Lord, tonight. Help us to stay focused, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 
888-888-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.